As a park ranger, I had always felt more connected to the great outdoors than I ever did to the confines of a house. So, when I decided to fully embrace the wilderness and move into the woods, it felt like a natural transition. I packed my old camping equipment and set up a small camp amidst the rustling trees and the silent whispers of nature. It was like coming home. In the beginning, everything was as it should be peaceful, serene, and full of life. However, the tranquility started to crack when I began encountering a series of strange occurrences. I found a line of dead squirrels, their small bodies lifeless and eerily arranged in a straight line. It was unsettling, to say the least, but I chalked it up to some predator's strange behavior. Nighttime, however, began to bring its own set of horrors. Strange sounds echoed through the otherwise silent woods, a cacophony of unsettling sounds that seemed to be getting closer with each passing night. I felt watched, my every move traced by unseen eyes in the darkness. One particular night, when the sounds seemed closer than ever, I grabbed my flashlight to investigate. However, as if in a cruel twist of fate, it flickered and died the moment I switched it on. It never worked again after that. The fifteenth day marked a shift in my wilderness experience. Beside the stream where I collected water, I discovered large, oddly shaped footprints. Unlike any animal tracks I'd seen before, these footprints sent a chill down my spine and further heightened my growing sense of dread. The nights that followed were filled with more disturbances. Whimpers and growls echoed outside my tent, growing louder with each passing night. Mornings brought a strange smell, an unfamiliar, disturbing scent that lingered around my camp. Fear started consuming me. Each night, I lay wide awake in my tent, my heart pounding in my chest, praying for sleep to take me away from the terror that gripped me. I avoided investigating the noises, the fear of what I might find far outweighed my curiosity. The climax of my ordeal came when I finally saw it a creature unlike anything I'd ever seen, lurking in the woods. The sight was so horrifying that it drove me to the brink of madness. I ended up in a government psychiatric facility, my mind filled with the haunting image of the creature, my words a frantic rave about my encounter in the woods. That, I suppose, is where my story as a park ranger living in the woods ends. There's something about driving at night that strips the world of its normalcy, turns the mundane into the mysterious. I learned this the hard way during a run from Yuma, Arizona, driving the lonely stretch where the I-8 intersects the 85 at Gila Bend. It was a familiar route for me. I'd made countless runs along that road, so much so that I even had a regular spot where I'd pull over to stretch my legs and take a leak. That night was no different or at least that's what I thought as I rounded a bend, the spot in question just up ahead. As I was about to pull over, my headlights illuminated a figure strolling across the highway. It was a creature unlike anything I'd seen before, a strange amalgamation of features that didn't belong together. It looked canine but its appearance was grotesquely warped. Its hind legs were elongated, almost rabbit-like, but twisted in a way that didn't seem natural. Its body was lean and muscular, its defined muscles rippling under the skin as it moved. Its snout was long and narrow, like that of a wolf, 
but devoid of any fur. The creature's skin was an unusual sight, a stark contrast to the mangy patches you'd expect on a hairless animal. Instead, it was thick and tough-looking, almost akin to a rhino's, but it had an uncanny smoothness to it that caught the reflection of my headlights. But what really got me, what truly sent a shiver down my spine, was the way it regarded me. As I slowed down, it didn't panic or run away as you'd expect a wild animal to. It simply continued its leisurely stroll, its eyes never leaving me. It was as if it was sizing me up, unafraid and eerily calm. The creature was massive, easily the size of a Great Dane or a Cane Corso, and its bizarre, uncanny appearance left an indelible mark on my memory. I watched, paralyzed, as it disappeared into the darkness on the other side of the road. Needless to say, I didn't stop that night, nor any other night after that. My usual pit stop was permanently tainted by that eerie encounter. Now, every time I make that run, I can't help but scan the roadside, half expecting to see that creature again. And each time, a chill runs down my spine, a reminder of the night when the mundane turned into the mysterious. I have stories about both my farm and my boyfriend's farm that might be interesting to you. Farms have a lot of history my family has been farming in the exact same spot since the 1870s when my family arrived from Germany, and his family has been farming in the same area since the 1930s therefore, they have lots of tales. My boyfriend's dad I'll call him my father-in-law, because he basically as I swear has seen everything at least once and has the most interesting stories. I will share a couple of his to start. For context, my boyfriend's family farms on both sides of Iowa and Missouri border, since they live fairly close to the state line. They have corn, soybeans, and beef cattle on pasture. I particularly love the cattle, because I love getting to jump in the ranger and ride around the pasture with my boyfriend to check on the cows. We do this almost every night in the spring, summer, and fall to make sure they are healthy, not injured, account for the calves, make sure they have enough grass, and look to see if there are any holes or breaks in the fences. In the wintertime, they get moved to a lot with a covered shed to protect them from the elements, so they are not on the pasture, and we feed them hay. Anyway, in the mid-2000s, my father-in-law was out in the wooded area of the cattle pasture. The trees are quite dense here, and it often serves as a great deer hunting spot in the late fall winter, once the cows have been moved to the winter lot. He was setting up trail cameras in the woods to watch deer in preparation for hunting season that fall. After some time, he came back out to get the card out of the camera to see if there were any big bucks roaming around. When he took a look at some of the pictures, he saw that there had been an unusual man back there. Trespassers aren't all that uncommon, and often it's just an annoyance rather than cause for concern. There was no way to tell who it was, so he just forgot about it. A few days later, he went back to hang the camera back up in the tree. When my father-in-law went back a second time about a week later to get the camera to see the pictures, someone had dug three makeshift graves in the back corner of the pasture. At the head of each grave was a wooden cross with a first name on it. He unfortunately didn't catch the man on trail camera, 
but he alerted the police about the situation. I think based on the names on the crosses, the police had an idea of who it could have been. The rural Midwest is smaller than you think for being so vast. My father-in-law wasn't really sure what came of that and never asked too much into it. But if he hadn't discovered those graves in the pasture and alerted the police, they might have been filled. For the second story, my father-in-law had some farms in Missouri that were bordered by the Missouri River. The Missouri River flows down through the Dakotas, along the Iowa-Nebraska border, and then at Kansas City it takes a turn and divides the state of Missouri in two, until it reaches the Mississippi. One spring in the late 1990s, he was out in a field next to the Missouri River planting corn. This was before all the current high-tech tools that farmers have at their disposal, now which can tell you if you have an issue with your machine right from the cab. He thought that his planter was having some issues, so he jumped out to check if something was broken. When he got out of his tractor, he noticed a really strange smell. A bad smell. If you know anything about farming, planting season is fast-paced time to try to beat the weather, and he was more concerned about getting his crop planted than investigating. He just assumed it was a dead deer washed up in the river, and continued on until he though the planter was having problems again a few hours later. This time, he was on the end of the field closer to the river. The smell was stronger, and unlike anything he had experienced before. They continued on that day working until one of the hired men asked if anyone noticed the bizarre smell coming from the river. My father-in-law said he had and wondered to them if it was a dead deer, but usually deer didn't stink quite like this. One of the hired men wandered across the field to the edge of the river. It's not like a nice sandy beach that touches the ground to make a shoreline. Often it is a rocky or steep overlook many feet down to the river below to get a closer look. At the bottom, he saw what he thought was animal tangled in the branches washed up by the river. Looking closer, he realized it was a person. They immediately called the police. Turns out, it was a missing woman who was a known prostitute from Kansas City who had made it this far downstream. I cannot find the exact article or name, and I don't know if the police ever told my father-in-law her name even though they briefly questioned him. But I do know there are a few articles of women being found in the river east of KC in the late 1990s. I've always had a knack for getting myself into unusual situations. But when I was transferred to a remote town in Alaska, I had no idea just how unusual things would get. The town was surrounded by a vast, dense forest infamous for its strange occurrences. The locals spoke in hushed whispers about the inexplicable disappearances of hikers and chilling apparitions that had a knack for driving people mad. The rumors didn't bother me until the day a couple vanished without a trace during a routine hike. I was Officer Jane Wilkinson, and leading my team of ten officers into the depths of that forest was a decision that would forever haunt me. We were seasoned police officers. As we moved deeper into the forest, we encountered inexplicable phenomena. Disembodied whispers filled the air, seeming to lure us further into the wilderness. Apparitions flickered in and out of sight among the trees, their presence chilling us to the bone. Then, one by one, my team started to disappear. No cries for help, 
no gunshots, just a terrifying silence that stretched on until we were down to half our original number. That's when we saw it a monstrous creature, more beast than man, its twisted form a grotesque mockery of a dog. The cryptid the locals feared was real, and it was hunting us. With my heart pounding in my chest and the primal fear of being hunted surging through me, I found myself stumbling upon its lair. A ghastly sight awaited me there. The remains of countless hikers scattered around the clearing. Gritting my teeth, I radioed the station, relaying the grim discoveries and the horrifying situation. The backup was hours away, the terrain too treacherous for a quick response. Alone and scared, I decided to search for the cryptid. I crept through the woods, my flashlight revealing nothing but shadows and the occasional pair of reflective eyes belonging to a harmless critter. Hours passed in a chilling silence, the creature nowhere to be found. Every snap of a twig, every rustle of leaves set my heart racing. The sky was beginning to lighten when I realized my search had been futile. The cryptid was gone, and I was left alone with my fear and the haunting memories of my fallen comrades. As I write this report, I can't help but replay the horrific events of that day in my mind. The fear, the despair, and the overwhelming sense of loss. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that even in the face of insurmountable odds, you don't back down. You fight, you survive, and you live to tell the tale. I work as an ice logger in Peace River, Alberta. Now mind you, I am there only four months a year. But I will tell you that we have a nice camp, a nice setup, and we go 24-7 hauling wood for the big chippers, and chips go to China as wood heat, etc. Anyhow, we had a bridge out where we have to take the big chip trucks across, and we're six of us there. Some idiot trucker threw out a bag of trash right on the river, Mind you at this time in the season, it was 40F below. We all saw these big tracks come out to this bag and rifle through it. This thing whatever it was dragged its feet whether to hide its prints or what. But all of us are tough, bruised, battled and scared loggers who never said a word to each other. Just looks or I guess glare at each other. But we knew there was something there in the wood line. We've done our work and we got the hell out of there. This is the thing. Truck drivers don't have to stay in the woods like us. Whatever it was did not like that bag of trash thrown there. We were not allowed at night when we were skidding to go five feet from the machine. Have your smoke, but don't go too far. Now this is written down as an offense if you do it. Our old cook. Well she is not that old, but she told us not to throw food out at the camp, because it would cause ravens to come in and cause a racket in the morning because the boys work 12-hour shifts and hate to get woke up. Anyway, this night I was on days at the time and could not sleep. So after supper, I stayed around the kitchen talking to her. She is a Plains Cree lady, and I am Mi'kmaq. So after a while like 9 or 9.30, I noticed her bagging stuff, leftover dinner etc. I said I will take that out for you. Our trash bins are bear-proof with heavy lids. She said no. So I watched her take this bag outside, and lay it beside the bear-proof bins. I was thinking WTF. I did not ask her much, or why really she does that. But in a way, 
she said it was for her big friend. I did not go see if the food was gone as I work 12-hour shifts, but I do watch here after our supper and or breakfast. She puts certain things aside for somebody or something. The coastal town in Syria was no stranger to strife and chaos, but the unexplained disappearances that had gripped it lately were beyond anything we could have imagined. We were a Navy SEAL team, sent on a mission to investigate, and if possible, put an end to the sinister occurrences that had plagued the town. Our orders were simple yet cryptic. Gather information, find the source of the disappearances, and neutralize the threat. We had faced countless dangers in our line of work, but nothing could have prepared us for what awaited us beneath the waters of that forsaken place. As we approached the town under the cover of darkness, our senses were on high alert. The air was thick with tension, and the moon cast an eerie glow over the deserted streets. The locals were wary, their eyes filled with fear and distrust, but they offered no answers to our questions. Our investigation led us to a series of unusual events that all pointed to one place an underwater cave system near the coastal cliffs. The townsfolk whispered of a malevolent force that dwelled in the depths, but they spoke in hushed tones, too afraid to reveal the truth. We suited up in our diving gear, each of us carrying an array of specialized equipment, and ventured into the unknown. The entrance to the cave was hidden beneath the surface of the Inkai Black Waters, and as we descended into its depths, an unsettling feeling of dread settled over us. The cavernous interior of the cave was shrouded in darkness, illuminated only by the beams of our waterproof flashlights. The walls were slick with moisture, and the sound of our breathing echoed eerily through the tunnels. We pressed on, following a labyrinthine network of passages that seemed to stretch endlessly into the abyss. It wasn't long before we encountered something that defied all logic. The creature, if you could even call it that, was a monstrous entity that lurked in the shadows. It stood over six feet tall, its body covered with black fur that looked wet and matted, as if it had just emerged from the sea. The most unsettling aspect was its lack of forelegs. Instead, it possessed a pair of massive hind legs that seemed incredibly powerful. As we cautiously approached, the creature turned to face us, and its two piercing red eyes bore into our souls. It was as though it could see into the darkest corners of our minds, and the malevolence that emanated from it was palpable. Before we could react, the creature lunged at us with incredible speed and ferocity. Chaos erupted as we opened fire, our bullets finding their mark, but the beast refused to go down without a fight. In the midst of the battle, we lost one of our own, a comrade who had fought alongside us through countless missions. In the end, it was a hail of bullets that brought the creature down. Its lifeless body lay before us, a grotesque and enigmatic enigma. We called our team leader to arrange for the extraction of the creature's carcass, hoping it might provide answers to the unending mysteries of this place. But when the extraction team arrived, they weren't government agents as we had expected. Instead, they belonged to an unknown agency, shrouded in secrecy. They took the creature's carcass without a word, leaving us with more questions than answers. We demanded an explanation, but the operatives remained silent. With a wave of their hands, 
they signaled for us to depart. As we boarded the waiting chopper, we couldn't shake the feeling that we had just stumbled upon something beyond our comprehension. Something that lay hidden in the shadows of the world. The chopper lifted off, leaving the coastal town behind, and we were left with a lingering sense of confusion and unease. The creature we had encountered defied all logic, and the agency that had taken it away seemed equally enigmatic. Our mission had ended, but the mysteries of that coastal town and the secrets of the deep continued to haunt us. We were Navy SEALs, trained to face the worst of the worst, but this was a battle unlike any we had ever fought, and the questions that lingered would remain unanswered, locked away in the depths of the unknown. One particular incident from my life has remained etched in my memory, its peculiarities haunting me to this day. It happened during a hiking expedition through a vast and secluded timber plantation. Accompanied by a guide and a few friends, we ventured deep into the wilderness, far from any signs of civilization. We had been trekking for several hours, planning to take a well-deserved break, when something caught our attention in the distance. It was an old car, parked approximately 100 yards ahead of us. Given the remote location, my initial assumption was that the car had been abandoned, so I paid little heed to it. However, as we approached, the details became clearer. Inside the vehicle, I spotted a weathered man, around 60 years old, occupying the driver's seat. Beside him sat a young boy, his face etched with fear. Both of them fixed their gaze upon us, their eyes filled with intensity. My instinctive urge was to approach them and inquire if they needed any assistance. However, before I could act upon it, our guide silently altered our course, veering away from the scene and hastening our pace. Strangely enough, none of us mentioned the incident afterward. It's as if a silent agreement had been forged to keep it buried within our collective memories. Nevertheless, the enigma persists, and the mere thought of why that man and the boy were in the heart of the woods, with the car turned off and windows sealed, watching us so intently, sends chills down my spine. I talked to an old hippie pot farmer who lives in the vicinity of Tacoma in extreme southern Oregon south of Grants Pass. He stated that it was common knowledge among his cohorts that there were many Bigfoot in the Red Butts, and that they tended to be territorial and aggressive. He said that to enter the Red Butts was to risk confrontation with these creatures. You have to hike a long ways to enter this area. It's an area of deep valleys and high, forested ridges and butts. Another report from the same general area concerns two forestry workers who had driven up a very remote road near the headwaters of the Smith River, which flows south into California to join the Klamath. They had pulled over and walked to the edge of an embankment. Looking down into the creek below, they saw a large group of big feet pulling salmon from the creek. They were noticed and two large males started up the embankment. They jumped into their truck and as they sped away saw the two males come over the embankment and onto the road. Also heard that of a couple of fellows in Grant's Pass, who used to hunt, illegally, using salt licks. They stated that on several occasions they found large Bigfoot tracks around the licks, 
and found that large chunks had been bitten out of the salt lick. Several years ago, shortly after I'd gotten into long-distance cycling, I decided to ride from Seattle out to Iron Horse Park for an overnight camping trip. I'm poodling along the gravel path through forest on a day unusually damp, gray and rainy for August, and get the creepiest, most unsettling feeling. I pick up my pace, looking carefully around at the impenetrable Pacific Northwest forest on either side, convinced I'm being stalked. If you've ever experienced these endless, dark forests of Douglas fir, Sitka spruce, ferns and moss, you know how dark, damp, and unsettling they can be. Luckily, the feeling passed after a bit, and I finished the rest of the adventure without issue. Got back that weekend and decided to look up via Google Maps just how deep in the woods I was when I got that horrible feeling, and discovered to my embarrassment it was a thin band of trees on either side of the trail, just deep enough to block my views of massive cow pastures on either side. This happened four years ago around New Year's at my house. I live in a pretty wooded area of Maryland. I actually have a nice trail in my backyard that leads to a stream. I go down here a lot with friends, my dog, and even just by myself. I've never encountered another person along this stream any time I've been there. Because of this, I've always felt pretty at ease there, but still a bit cautious knowing my whole neighborhood could just as easily walk down their backyards and get to this stream, or people from the neighborhood against ours. On this day, we had some cousins over I believe to watch a Ravens game, and just get together for the holidays. It was unusually warm for late December, probably around 50s, 60s, we all moved outside to supervise my little cousins throwing a football around. My mom suggested that I take my younger cousins down the trail to the stream to burn off some energy. Honestly, I didn't want to because I was so bloated from food. But I did. I herded four pubescent boys down the trail to the stream, and they kinda ran off ahead of me to climb on things and do whatever. I just hung behind to watch over them, and make sure nobody did anything especially stupid, while playing on my phone. I kinda got this weird feeling while I was down there, and felt not at ease. Almost like a premonition. I turned around to look behind me and scanned the woods, the first scan, everything was fine. Then I saw it. There was a dark figure in the distance that looked male, but I'm not entirely sure because of the distance, who was half behind a tree almost as if he was hiding and peeking out at me. When I spotted him, rather than go back behind the tree he stepped out and just stood beside the tree while I stared back. I had a really bad feeling and got the largest chill and immediately yelled for the boys to come back. They didn't listen to me at first, but I told them to get their asses back and didn't say why, just started hauling ass up the trail and made it back safely to my house where I told everyone about the encounter. I'm sure nothing bad would have happened if we had stayed down there, but I really didn't want to find out. The Martin family had downsized their lives. A workplace injury had devastated Eric, and Shelley had left her job to take care of her Who's Band. As a result, 
they were looking for a less expensive place to live. Shelley had found a beautiful, older farm in Palmyra that was just what they needed. It was surrounded by dense woods. Eric's family had always been hunters, and his fairly extensive collection of guns was a bone of contention with Shelley. With the help of Eric's son, Sean, Eric built a strong box to hold the guns under lock and key in the barn. Eric and Shelley had a routine of evening coffee on the sheltered porch, provided it wasn't too cold out. One night, they noticed strange, pulsating lights down past the tree line. At first, Sean thought it was just a poacher with a flashlight, but something didn't seem right. Shelley thought it was unnatural. Eric and Sean headed out into the field to investigate. As they approached the woods, the lights went out. It was so quiet, the snap of a tree branch underfoot echoed. Eric sent Sean around with his flashlight off, hoping to catch any potential poacher unaware. Eric felt something far beyond any fear he'd ever felt hunting. All Eric and Sean found was each other, not even a track on the ground to give them a hint of what they'd seen. Chelsea's boyfriend Nathan came for a visit, and they decided to go for a walk in the woods with the dogs. The dogs ran out ahead of them, catching a scent. When Chelsea and Nathan caught up, the dogs were rooting around by a large hole in the ground. Nathan thought the overly round hole had been dug with care. Chelsea had a bad feeling about the whole thing, and urged him to leave. Finally, he agreed. What had the dogs found? It was Memorial Day weekend, and Shelley was making the evening coffee. The dogs didn't want to go outside to their pen. Something wasn't right. Eric noticed that it was particularly quiet on that misty evening. When Eric heard an odd sound in the distance, he knew there was some sort of danger out there. Eric began to usher Shelley into the house. She protested, but when she heard some rustling in the distance, Accompanied by five sets of eyes looking back at them, she realized the danger. They rushed into the house and locked the door. Eric knew it wasn't a bear, but it was huge and dangerous. The guns were in the barn, and Eric wasn't sure his family was safe in the house. Eric want Ed to get the guns, but Shelley told him to stay. She went up to Chelsea's room and woke her daughter. Chelsea was half awake when she looked out the window but laid back down and went back to sleep. All five of the creatures were still there. One stood on its hind legs and looked right at Shelley. Eric felt an instinct to protect his family. With the creatures in the distance, he thought that he might be able to get the family car backed up close enough to get them out. Even with his disability, Eric went outside. Shelley went through the house, closing the windows. She finally found the two hunting dogs hiding in a shadowed corner. If the dogs were scared, Shelley was concerned. When Eric reached the porch, he realized that he might have the distance to get there. It was going to be the longest 20 feet of his life. He started to slowly walk toward the car. When he finally reached it, grabbing the keys and trying to unlock the door, the motion sensor lights popped on. Eric was frightened and very vulnerably. Suddenly, he was face to face with one of the creatures. It tried to reach into the light, but something stopped it. It bolted off into the darkness. Eric made for the house as quickly as he could. They decided to call the police, 
hoping for someone else to drive in while they remained sheltered. The police didn't take them seriously, telling Shell Lay to close the windows and lock the doors. Nobody was coming. They were on their own. Shelley heard them approach. They were on the other side of the outside wall, and if they wanted in, they were going to get in. Her family was being held hostage in their own house by these creatures. They weren't able to get the guns. There weren't any police coming. What were they going to do? Grabbing every sharp implement they could find, Shelley went and woke Chelsea. They needed all hands awake and alert. They all went into the master bedroom and laid on top of the bed, armed, waiting on daylight to come. When they heard the creatures outside, they were petrified. The only thing between the Martins and the creatures was the bedroom window. When morning came, they could finally breathe a sigh of relief. The creatures were gone. Eric called Sean, who came over and helped look for tracks. The tracks they did find were huge, with enormous claws. They showed a creature who could walk on two feet. These creatures had been hunting, stalking. Were they werewolves? To this day, nobody knows.